from the smallest room in New York City comes a show that gives you a reason to live. Yeah, joining me now uh, via, uh, you know, whatever, uh, telephone, uh, retired homicide and robbery detective Ray Schneiders in Fontana, California. Hey, Ray. Hey, Pat. How are you today? I'm good. Have I got that right? Did I get Did I get everything right on that? You got everything right. Okay, cool. Uh, how's life in Fontana? Oh, well, it's a laugh a minute out here. Uh, <laughs> You know, I remember the uh, first time uh, I went out on patrol with my first training officer in Fontana. He said to me, Ray, Fontana's not the end of the world, but you can see it from here. Ah, <laughs> well done. The, the coronavirus is, it's got everybody in their homes. It's, it's what wouldn't you call it uh, mass house arrest, isn't it? Yeah, it's, just, it's essentially what it is. And what's amazing to me in, in, in watching this is, you know, it's a little on the embarrassing side, the way people are behaving. You know, they always tell us that, you know, when, when nations go through these tough times, that it builds character. I think, unfortunately, in this case, it's revealing it. And, ah. boy, we have got a lot of milk toast Nancy boys in this, uh, in this country, just the way they're behaving. Uh, the way they're just losing their minds. And, and, and it's amazing to me how people are clearly living at the mercy of their external environment. I mean, they just cannot make a decision based on the information on their own. They're basically being told what to think. And like robots, they're, you know, the local news tells them you know, how they should be reacting to this. Yeah, it's like they will behave just as uh, weak as... as they sort of get permission to, to act, you know, like I, I feel as if uh, there's a lot of it, it's like the reporter the other night, you know, who was asking the president about the scared Americans. And what about all these Americans who are so afraid and, and they need all this reassurance and everything? Uh, that's not the kind of message that the leaders should be trying to send. Right. Well, no, they should, you know, a leader um, is, is somebody who inspires and who motivates and you know, the moment that uh, President Trump said anything, uh, the least bit positive, he is immediately accused of, you know, sending out false hope and then automatically being accused of, you know, being the instigator of people putting their guard down and, you know, which will, of course, lead to their immediate death. Um, of course. Yeah, it, it's, it, 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 it is. It's just, it's just embarrassing to, to see that these people just cannot make a decision on their own and they're just basically told what to think and feel. Uh, the New York Daily News claims in a headline that fear is making targets of Asians. Uh, we have here where uh, an attacker and described in the Daily News as an unhinged black female hypochondriac punched an Asian woman in Midtown uh, and... Uh, while doing it, screamed, where's your coronavirus mask, you Asian bitch? That's the news says, uh, before socking the woman and running off. A knuckle sandwich to go, shagged ass, no fortune cookie. The woman was taken to the hospital with a jacked jaw. And then later that same day, a black teenager kicked an Asian man in the back. Now, that's certainly cowardly in East Harlem, the police said. Now, while walking Monday evening on Madison Avenue near East 103rd Street, at 7.50, the 59-year-old victim, the victim, 59, was jumped by an alleged teen with no further description provided by the Daily News. And as the old China person fell onto the sidewalk, the alleged teen 
allegedly yelled, fuck you, Chinese coronavirus. And I, I can't help but think that if there's one good thing about the virus, I feel like it's helped people here learn their Asians. <laughs> well, you know, and, and you can have one or two instances like that. It, but with a country with over, what, what are we up to, about 320 million now? Um, oh, at three, closer to 330, actually. Wow. Uh, you know, that put that in perspective per capita, and I don't think it's even measurable. It would be completely unremarkable. Of course, of course. Now, you have a lot of Asians in, uh, in California, right? Yes. I know you do. Now, if, if they're, can, can, are you able to always distinguish? I, I want to see if you, if you have the same sort of criteria that I have here. Because you know, sometimes you can't tell. And New York City Crime Report wanted to provide some information as a public service as far as determining if somebody is Chinese. Uh, now, if they're, if they're talking very loud... And they're wearing like weirdly plain shoes or spitting on the floor of the subway, or if they give off a vibe of being someone that you're possibly the, the most unlikely to get into a conversation with, that's usually Chinese. Uh, and if they're energetic, hyper intelligent, if they look like they're from the future, that's Japanese. Okay. And if they're, you know what I mean? And if they're, and if they're attractive and quiet and they seem to think that they're better than the other Asians, I think that's Korean. And then that probably accounts for most of the Asians that you'll see. I know that there's other, other countries and stuff. Uh, but, uh, that's just, this is, that's what I surmise now, but, and probably enough on that. But personally, I, I think I know how you feel about this, Ray. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not a hateful person. I can't see hating somebody just because they're Asian. It's like hating somebody just because they're Presbyterian or because they're a forest ranger or because they're from Luxembourg or Estonia. It's just a category of people whose experience I really don't know anything about. It could be any kind of person. You know what I mean? Well, it's one of the things I learned about the Asian culture was with the major influx of Asians into Southern California. We, of course, had to deal with uh, Asian gangs, which are completely different than traditional black or Hispanic gangs or, you know, white biker gangs. And More polite? I'm sorry? Are they more polite? Well, that's interesting. When you deal with gangsters, Asian gangs, and the primary ones here in Southern California are like the Wad Chings, the Joe Boys, the Viet Chings, um, a lot from Vietnam, Cambodia. Um, but what's interesting is, as a law enforcement officer, when, when you pull them over, they're very subservient when, when you contact them, they do not get in your face and it's, it's not a machismo thing with them. With Asian gangs, it is all about business and primarily what they deal in is stolen vehicles. Um, they love stealing cars, stripping them and assembling them back together. Cause what they'll do is they'll often take a vehicle. They'll completely strip it almost nearly just down to the frame. Now, the insurance company will, of course, you know, take the vehicle. Of course, they have to replace it. But they take these frames and what's whatever's left of the vehicle and they auction them. Well, these same Asian gangs will go buy what's left of the vehicle and then reassemble it. And they've got themselves a whole new car and it's shown as salvaged on the registration. Now, that is a very industrious way to do crime. I mean, it really is. That, that, that's a lot of work. You know, yeah. that's not just uh, pointing a gun at somebody and taking their money. That's really, it shows an entrepreneurial, uh, you know, zeal 
that you don't really see in all of the gangs. Yeah, and there was, uh, for instance, before I went to work for the Fontana Police Department, I worked for the city of San Gabriel Police Department in, in Los Angeles County, uh, which is just east of downtown Los Angeles. And the city at the time I left there in 1990 was about 34% Asian. Well, the businesses um, down on, well, in this case, Valley Boulevard, um, these businesses, for instance, one was called the Saigon Center. Things were so bad there. You could actually go into the place, sit down, and if you waited, you'd get approached and some Asian gang member would say, what do you want? You could actually custom order a stolen vehicle. You could say, what do you want? Oh, I want a Acura. I want a, a blue stick shift, this and that. And they say, okay, you give them like $3,000 cash. And about 45 minutes later, your car pulls up in the back. And they'll even cold plate it for you. So they'll put on a you know, fresh set of cold plates. You get in the car and drive away. You don't even have to steal the car. You can actually buy the car and not have to go through the hassle of stealing it yourself. You see that again, it's just like, you know, the Chinese restaurants, you know, they're fast and efficient. Of course, now you're talking about the, the Vietnamese. Uh, and you say you go down to the Saigon Center, there's Charlie everywhere. And uh, someone will... Uh, help you out uh and and how do you combat that kind of crime it's so that is really i mean in a, in a way that you don't see in other in other criminal elements it's available to a common guy you don't have to you know be at the top of the ladder of anything in order to uh be uh to to gain their service and that's the other part it's a service customer satisfaction business that's uh and that's just incredible. I didn't know. And how do you combat that? You just you would have to burn it, burn it down to save it, I guess. Right. Uh, and, and when you're dealing with them, they generally shy away from tattoos for the most part. They do have some cultural type of tattoos, but they really don't have identifiable gang tattoos. Like you will not find an Asian gang member with giant stenciled watching you know, across his chest. They do not stand out like that. They don't, they don't tag or graffiti certain areas, you know, with, with their name. And they generally don't stand out in a crowd. Um, they don't mm -hmm. dress down. They actually dress up and uh, like to blend in. And, you know, they deal with a great amount of extortion. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you're ever in an Asian market, or an Asian restaurant, for instance, and you're sitting down at a table and you see some Asian young men and they suddenly begin to take the silverware in both hands and start banging it on the table. Get out. Because that is oh. a message to the owner that they're late with an extortion payment. And if they don't come up with the money, they're going to open fire on all the patrons. Oh boy. Yeah. That I it shows how culturally things are so different, you know, because bang on your silverware, that usually just means you're goofing around on being extra hungry, you know? Right. Yeah. They've got yeah, a language, they got a language all into themselves. And, and what's interesting is there, there is really a pecking order within the Asian culture, especially in the gang culture, uh, where you come from, uh, you know, we don't necessarily pay much attention to that, but it's amazing how much the Asian culture does not get along with one another. They know exactly yeah. where you're from, you know, 
they, I mean, they know everything and they can generally figure out what you're all about with just a few questions. And yeah, the, the extortion is one of the main things that's probably the, the most unreported uh, crime that there is. And very likely that just about any Asian business that uh, you go into, um, they're paying protection money. Because there's so much on the line, I suppose. You don't want your place to be burned down. Uh, you only have to get away with one thing to ruin somebody's life or, or you know, kill you. Or, you know, I mean, I suppose they might provide some sort of a service in addition to just demanding money. They must uh, give some sort of protection or something like that. Or is that just uh, what I've seen too many mafia, too many mafia movies? Well, generally, they'll, they'll protect you from everything except themselves. So yeah, if right. there are other uh, gangs out there and that is their territory, territory, you can, for the most part, be assured that the other gangsters aren't going to rob your store or burglarize it or otherwise harass your patrons. But that's nice. You have to, but you will do what they want. And, so you got uh, to keep the steady stream of money and to not have the, their, their place uh, encroached upon. Right. And you might even see one of the members uh, sitting on a stool right next to the cash register, watching the money come in. And it's mm -hmm. like, you know, one, two for you, three, four for me. That's really smart too, because they will hold out on you. You know, in general, there's a, you're going to be resentful about paying a criminal element anyway. So you're undoubtedly going to skim off the top of your own restaurant. Um, they, you know what, uh, they, there's been a, uh, like you said, a few cases now and, and we have, a new one today, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it's very few situations, right, where certain people uh, have displayed uh, behavior which would indicate, if not hate, at least strong dislike for Asian people because of the virus. And people have argued about how we should be commonly referring to the virus as if there's a connection, uh, China virus, Wuhan virus, commie virus, Kung flu. Uh, they don't want to create any negativity towards uh, people from the same place. They want to call it coronavirus, which makes it sound Mexican. I don't see how that helps. There's really no need to call it anything at this stage right now. The virus is sufficient. Uh, people will know what you're talking about. But look, we need to have, I think, some perspective about the handful of incidents thus far. Almost no one, certainly almost no New Yorkers, uh, and I'm talking about even the New Yorkers who are actually Americans, will or would attack anyone based on their race or national origin and beyond that uh and i think that's true of almost every last person in the u.s they would vocally repudiate that uh and uh it's a rare exception other than the rule and uh you know here's the other part i i think that it's even less likely that someone is going to attack somebody based on their race or national origin who they think is carrying this virus so uh, as these things get reported, you know, you'll only see people repudiate it. And it's not uh, there, there, there will not be a wave of public anti-Asian sentiment in any community in this country, let alone violence. But uh, and there's perhaps just over a million Asians in New York City. I don't know how many there are in L.A., but a lot of them, they don't talk to anyone. They don't fully assimilate. Uh, they're not particularly active in the larger community. So, you know, we're not going to notice uh, except for the reports, but we also don't want to, to succumb to any kind of sense of paranoia about Chinese people, Asian people in general. There's a particular problem with uh, attacks on Asian people, uh, specifically Chinese people, and the problem is 
that when someone does attack a Chinese person, that attacker only about an hour later is going to want to attack another one. <laughs> okay. Well, that's, uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, I, you'd have to check the FBI uniform crime reporting statistics on that one, maybe. <laughs> yeah, what I have is pretty anecdotal. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's um, you know, it's funny the what you hear about you know these attacks. I mean, they're they're coming from everyone except the Asian community. They if if there is this uh, onslaught of attacks upon Asian people. Uh, it's news to the Asian community because I don't hear any of them or any of their advocates uh, saying it's a problem at all. It just seems to be, you know, guilty white liberals uh, and pundits in the media that are, you know, claiming that this is such a, you know, that this is rising to an epidemic proportion. Yeah, and they never... Uh... They never. It's not even a mini demic, really, and they they never get tired of of telling us how we're supposed to say things and what we're supposed to say, and 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 you know by extension, then what we're supposed to think, which is a which is a real bummer. Newsweek. Remember when Newsweek was a magazine? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I mean, uh, that was one of the uh, magazines Eleanor Clift was uh, famous for. Eleanor Clift. I don't know who that is. Oh, she was on uh, the McClough. McLaughlin report. Oh, uh, okay. All right. yeah, weekly, that's the one she, where the guy would go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. John McLaughlin. Yeah. And she was always at war with uh, Pat Buchanan on that show. I see. Okay. So I know where she stands. Now uh, it says here, police in New York are investigating yet another alleged incident of an Asian person in the city being targeted in a hate crime attack as a result of the coronavirus outbreak. According to reports, a 26-year-old Asian male was waiting at the Atlantic Avenue Barclays Center subway station in violent Brooklyn when he was approached by the suspect. On Wednesday, uh, the man allegedly spat on the victim and yelled, you uh, fucking Chinese spreading the coronavirus, you people got the virus. Uh, The suspect then mimicked having a gun inside his jacket uh, to threaten him. So uh, an alleged incident, it says, now I'm not seeing uh, any physical contact. He just, uh, you know, he, he just said this. And he spat on him, of course. Now that's bad enough. That's certainly, uh, yeah, that's, I'd almost rather get punched and spat on these days. Or you know, it's, it's uh, a discuss or in any time. The suspect was identified uh, by the New York Post as 19-year-old Nicholas Theodore, later arrested charged with aggravated harassment and uh, as a hate crime and menacing so there's uh it says here it's one of a number of incidents of and it's a small number of incidents in which asian people have been targeted or harassed in new york following the outbreak uh okay so you get the idea have you noticed a, a commonality among all of these they all refer to that they all go out of the way to say asian person or chinese and and mention the virus all of them yeah, it kind of has a Jesse Smollett kind of uh, tinge to it, doesn't it? Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, I'll, only I'll, only I don't doubt that it occurred. I just doubt that it. Uh, there's just something fishy about it. But yes, exactly. Yeah, and it, you know, considering that the the Chinese people that are here already uh, and and have been here and say for several generations, uh, I don't see that those are the 
people that uh, they would necessarily want to uh, want to target. You know, it could be very well that uh, you know this person was attacked, and you know they could have embellished uh, some of the dialogue that uh, that took place with it. But um, yeah, I mean, any, but all any, of them, Ray, all of them, all of them have said that. I mean, I don't, I, I think that. It's almost, you know, I heard somebody say a strange thing, uh, you know, this is, and this is very anecdotal, but she believed that these people who attack ha- are being paid to do it. And then she mentioned George Soros. Okay. So you get the full picture of what, of what she was saying. And I wonder, you know, I, I, did, I, I kind of like brushed that off. I, you know, like people will do stupid things. There's certainly no, uh, I don't doubt that. But I mean, it is strange the way they all say Asian or Chinese and coronavirus. It's in. It's always in there in in these attacks. There's like three of them. I've just I've just said, and they all, and they're all mild as well. Like none of them are. I mean, there's nothing mild about aggravated harassment and hate crimes. Those are serious charges potentially. I'm sure that this guy is, was released without bail anyway, so it's not really that dangerous. But but you know, this the one guy was like sort of. Uh, tackled you know the second attack that i that i mentioned uh the other one was uh, or they're kicked in the back rather and uh and punched you know and this one spat on they're not going all out to you know eliminate this person or anything it's like, it, it seems as if there's a uniformity across three different uh you know parts of the stories now and and i'd like to get your thoughts now yeah well if it were if it were scripted that would explain the consistent dialogue uh, used during the commission of the crime. And if it's scripted, yeah, then it would, you would think that it was, you know, somebody that was paid, but depending on how many, you know, assuming this is true, uh, one of these guys is going to drop a dime and, and, you know, admit that this is something that they were paid to do, uh, as to whether that information is ever allowed to, uh, to get to us. (laughs) That's another story. Um, ah, so, because uh, they'll probably claim that, oh, we can't let that get out, because then that, you know, that throws every attack, you know, under suspicion, and then that will, you know, uh, give the impression that these attacks can continue with impunity. Um, uh, which so, they can. I mean, like, when, when, when you release you know, we had hate crimes against Jewish people uh, right after the bail reform was passed, and, and uh, you know, people getting out, you know, time and again after... You know, there's one particular woman who became the poster child for that. So it's not as if there's a great deal to fear from the from you know the actual law. Yeah, th- this is something that um, it, it, once the media sees something, this I mean, it, it's I mean, there's sharks. There's blood in the water, and yeah. and they're going to just go for it. And there is no checks and balances. I mean, their editors are more concerned with you know it's more important to be first than accurate let's say Uh, that is definitely true yeah so there's going to be a rush to get the information out and when you're in a rush like that of course you know verifying information becomes um well you know let somebody else do that later and then by the time somebody gets around to actually doing that um you know, it's it's last week's news already. We've all moved on. Yeah, it's no longer it's no longer even interesting. And, and there's such a small number of people who will actually bother to read even a whole story uh, after the headline. Anyway, a lot of people just love to skim the headlines. And uh, here's one headline that we would like 
if we were skimming the headlines. You know, a lot of people say, hey, uh, you know, I do New York City Crime Report. They, they, they ask me one of two things. They say, are you freaked out about, you know, because you talk about crime all the time, you must be really, uh, you know, paranoid or, you know, vigilant. And uh, I, I, no, I'm not, I, I don't feel paranoid. I feel informed, you know. Uh, there's nothing wrong with knowing about the crime going on uh, in your immediate vicinity and surrounding. And uh, the other thing is like, wow, if crime is up, that's a good thing, right? And it, and it isn't necessarily. There's always plenty to cover, and uh, a lot of times when crime goes up, you're talking about boring crimes, you're talking about people stealing cell phones, you're talking about, like, a lot of, uh, the, you know, those, those type of, of things. So I'm happy to report that crime has actually dipped, um, uh, you know, during this time, you know, as the New York Post says it. Even Gotham's criminals appear to be self-isolating. Amid coronavirus fears, uh, crime dropped precipitously over the last week since schools and business were ordered, businesses were ordered closed and residents were asked to minimize time in public. Uh, home invasions, I guess, have not caught on yet. Major felonies plummeted 17% between uh, March 16th and the 22nd of March. Stark reversal, uh, the city uh, had been experiencing a surge of crime in the first two months of the year compared to 2019. So I guess what have we learned? The lesson is uh, self-quarantine to bring down crime, right? I mean, it's drastic, but, uh, you know, if it's causing a 17% dip, you know, that's that's not such a bad thing, right? I mean, uh, that, that's one of those security over uh, freedom kind of deals, though. Yeah, it is. And, and of course, you know, when other crimes go down, there are some that go up. I mean, what crimes would go up when you were inside of a of a home of course domestic violence is going to go up and you would think right that one is uh of course still an un, un, underreported crime and yeah we need to keep it that way <laughs> well it's <laughs> it, it's certainly one of those <laughs> yeah so mandy mandy close by there <laughs> if you know what if you know what's good for you it'll stay unreported <laughs> yeah. and so you know, it'll be interesting what, uh, you know, because a lot of times, you know, people would rather go to a police station than have the police come to their home. So yes. once this is off, you might be amazed as, as the number of crimes that they would report, you know, had they not wanted the officer coming to their home. They would actually want to just go in and do it that way or do it anonymously. And, and, and uh, they can't go to the police station because you can't leave. But you can leave. We're allowed to leave now uh, with uh, if, if we have some reason. It doesn't have to be essential. We can go walk uh, a little bit. Uh, we just can't. Uh, we can go out, but we just can't stay out is, is the, the, probably the easiest way to put it. Uh, the playgrounds, uh, which we were discussing uh, on the phone earlier, are closed. Uh, I I was reading from uh, an email. I get these emails from Jimmy Van Bramer, who is a like a city councilman or assemblyman or you know something like that. And uh, yes, he says, "Dear friend, it's a trying time. You know, they love to keep telling you how hard it is all the time. At least that's how the people are. Uh, the politicians are here, unlike anything any of us have ever experienced. And you know, stay home, blah blah blah. And so here's some of the things that they are." Uh, that they're that they're doing right now now we have uh for our four-legged friends please visit uh nycem pets planning page 
<laughs> to help plan ahead for your pets in case of a medical emergency. People really do. Uh, that That's really forward thinking, you know. So what's going to happen to my dog when I go to the hospital? Uh, now, uh, it says here now that the mayor is opening two streets per borough to pedestrians to create more space for people outside to spread out so we can reduce the number of people congregating too densely in some of our parks. And he says it's not nearly enough. I've suggested many others. Uh, he's waiting to, uh, you know, hear something back or work with somebody on this. Uh, this and he also mentions this, that the southbound roadway of the Queensboro Bridge needs to close to cars immediately. It doesn't sound like a good place to to go hang out. Yeah, two streets per borough is... I, I feel like that, that that's going to herd people into an area and spread the virus, if anything. Why would you come out of your home or leave the, the you know the streets on your block in order to go congregate in a two a two street area uh someplace in you know, in your borough that's uh that's ten streets across the whole city that are and I don't know how much of those streets, but uh, it, it seems like a bad idea. But they do actually parks and playgrounds remain open. Uh, and, uh, you know, basketball courts and playgrounds, according to Van Bremer, should be closed now. I don't I don't think anything should be closed right now. Personally, I think that it's uh, this is the time when things should be opening back up. And, and I keep maintaining that the first really lovely day of spring the quarantine will be over. Uh, I don't think you're going to keep New Yorkers who have been, you know, suffering through what has been pretty mild winter-wise. You know, I don't think we even got a, a good hard snow, but they're still going to want to go outside, and I, th I think they'll do it. I, I, I think that's when uh, some civil disobedience and safety and numbers will kick in. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, who's going to speak the loudest uh, very shortly is going to be corporate America, because I think you know, eventually, you know, they'll limp along for a while here and they'll go along and they'll, you know, they'll assist and they'll, you know, shift their production to making masks or ventilators to assist, you know, but they're going to go along for just so long because you can affect their bottom line for only so long. If you do not have a proportionate number of fatalities from this consistent with, you know, sh the shutting down of their businesses, forget it. You know, uh, you know, unless they see Eric Idle with a cart coming down the street asking you to bring out your dead, <laughs> yeah, you, you better that's <laughs> you you better start opening some of these businesses up, and especially gyms. I mean, what is all every gym in California is closed right now? I mean, what is better for your immune system than exercise? Ah, good question. You know, they were uh, De Blasio's aides were furious with him for going to his gym after he closed all of everybody else's. And uh, they said there was a lot of people there, uh, you know, a certain number of people anyway, who were, uh, you know, coughing, uh, sneezing, sniffling. And, you know, it's a pretty there's a lot of fluids in a gym. Uh, also, uh, there was a crazy guy in there who was licking all the equipment. So. You know, I, I don't know how a, a guy gets to just hang out in the in the Park Slope YMCA uh, licking equipment. But, you know, you're right. Uh, if people people do need to, to watch their physical condition, stay in shape and and all that stuff. Now, uh, I, that's the reason I'm not currently going to the gym. I was so that was my day to go back. And then suddenly they closed. I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. Bummer. I mean, the, the timing could could it have been worse. 
it's yeah, and, and you know what? And I'm not complaining about it, you know, because I, I, I consider myself to be one of the least affected by the uh, virus. Grand larceny down 31 percent with uh, 517 of them reported so far this year. Rape and other sex crimes actually went down uh, 69 percent and 43 percent, respectively. So rape down nearly 70 percent. It's, you know, I guess it's not only because people are inside, but because you start talking about infection and something about that's a real boner killer, I guess, huh? Yeah, that could be. And but, you know, these these crooks are clever, though. They're going to shift to, okay, if I have to commit my crimes inside, I'm going to hop on a computer and I'm going to engage in identity theft. So I would I would venture to say you're going to when when the stats of today are brought out next month, um, you'll, you'll see an uptick in those. What you're saying is that these uh, some of these criminals who normally uh, rob people outside and, and stuff are going to learn to code. Right. They'll team up with somebody who knows how to do this and, you know, they'll 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 learn themselves. The, the, the actual criminal acts. And I mean, these crooks are not going to go without, especially if it's for drugs and they need the money to support that habit. That's that's not going to stop. So they'll where there's a will, there's a way and they'll, they'll yeah. find they'll find another avenue to get people's money. You want to hear something interesting? Here's a uh, now the the other one is felony assault also down nine percent, misdemeanor assault uh, down twenty one percent. Unless you're Asian, then it's up like nine thousand <laughs> percent. Right. Uh, but uh, it says uh, we have a quote here from NYPD Sergeant uh, Joseph Imperat- Imperatrice. He's founder of Blue Lives Matter NYC, and here's the quote. It is a combination of individuals heeding the advice to stay home and distancing themselves from other people. So stay, he counts that as two different things, I guess, when you're out in public, the distancing thing comes uh, in. And can you imagine that that's all it takes to prevent uh, some crimes is just you see somebody coming and you, and you step uh, and, you, and you stay six feet away from them. And, you know, that's going to drastically impact these crime numbers like this. <laughs> yeah, because if um, it's that easy, you know, then I think we've, uh, yeah, I think we've, we're going to solve a great deal of, uh, of the problem of crime, you know, just like that. Right. And, you know, and I, I look ahead at these things too, when this is over, I mean, the media loves this stuff. And so they're going to yeah. need another catastrophe, especially if people are locked down in their homes. And, you know, when you talk about price gouging, I would be very interested in knowing, giving the viewership of local and uh, network news is obviously well on the rise with everybody being sequestered in their home. I wonder if they are engaging in price gouging by charging sponsors more than they would normally. Ah, you know what? You make a good point. I'm sure it does not hurt business for business to be good. Uh, Ray, it's good talking to you. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk to you again momentarily. But I want to say, I hope things are good in Fontana. I hope you, uh, of course, stay healthy. And uh, and it sounds like you're doing a good job of not becoming hysterical like uh, the news wants you to. Oh, no, no, no. That's that's the beauty of, uh, you know, having been in law enforcement as long as I have. It's um, you have an overabundance of just common sense logic and uh, not allowing others to tell you, you know, how to think and fail. Independent thinking is so crucial. Thanks again, Ray, and thank you for listening to New York City Crime Report.